Okay, before we jump into today's show, I have something really important that I want to talk to you about. I'm working on this a really kind of a top secret project, something that I'm really passionate about that I think is going to help a lot of people. And I wanted to see if I could get your help. Now, I'm not going to talk about exactly what this project is, but let's just say it's specifically designed for people who do not yet have a real estate business. They wanna be in real estate. They love the idea of starting a wholesaling or a flipping or a buy and hold kind of a business. They've been listening to my podcasts or other podcasts and they really wanna get started, but there's something holding them back. There's something that's keeping them from doing it. It could be their own self-doubt. It could be friends and family telling them they're crazy. It could be as simple as they just don't have a plan. They don't know where to start. They don't even know what to do first. Like, how do I start this journey? I want to help with that. And by you reaching out to me and telling me that's who you are, that you're that person who wants a real estate investing company, whether it be a side hustle or you want to do this full time, you want it to be your main thing. Either way, if you haven't gotten started and something's holding you back, I don't care what it is. Could be, like I said, you, could be your family, could be your spouse, could be just lack of knowledge. Like you just don't know what to do first. You don't know how to start. Or maybe you don't even know what it is you want to do in real estate. You don't know if you want to flip. You don't know if you want to be a wholesaler. You don't know if you want to buy rentals. If you fall into any of those categories and you want my help with it, I am offering that to you right now. All you have to do is go to mike at juststartrealestate.com and put in the subject line, help, and I will reach out to you. I don't care if you've never done anything before. If you're completely green and you don't have a clue as to where to get started, that's the person that I'm looking for. And maybe you do know what you want to do. Maybe you know exactly what you want to do in real estate, but still something's holding you back. You have some fear or something. I want to help you get unstuck. So please take advantage of this opportunity. Reach out to me. Email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com. Subject line help and I will get right back to you. We'll set up a time. We'll hop on a call and we'll chat. I want to help you get unstuck so you can move forward and realize your dream of having a real estate investing company. So reach out to me, use that email address, subject line help. I can't wait to hear from you. All right, guys, let's dive into the show. So yeah. there are some things that naturally we like to do, mm-hmm. and there are other things that we don't like to do. So that don't like to do bucket, hire it as quickly as you can. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. Got another great one for you. Can't wait to bring it to you. But first, please, if you're enjoying the show, if you're getting anything out of this at all, if you love coming and hearing the content and you feel like there's value here, give me a rating review. Come on. I've asked you before. Just do it. Just do it. All right, guys. I have a great show for you today. Got a guest on that's just a lot of fun. I, you know, I love doing this. I love what I do. I love interviewing great and smart investors and good people. And uh, I've said this before. Every once in a while, I just really you know, click with someone a little bit better. And, you know, we just seem to be on the same wavelength, have some similarities in our background. And uh, the guest today is definitely one of those people, uh, similar path to getting into real estate, similar upbringing. And it was just a lot of fun connecting with him and kind of exploring his 
his roots in real estate and how he got started. Uh, he is a millennial house hacker turned corporate dropout, and it's awesome when he tells the story of how he quit his corporate job. It was pretty cool. Um, he's now specialized in flipping two to four unit multifamilies in his local market. He's the co-founder of Lion Property Group, a property management company that covers Rhode Island and Southern Massachusetts area. And he's also the host of Cashflow Kings, the podcast, Cashflow Kings. So uh, go check that out if you haven't yet. My guest today is Jimmy Murray. Like I said, we just had a great time talking. He's a He's just a good guy to talk to. He's genuine and he knows what he's talking about. And he's very honest about what he's doing. And he answered every question I asked, which is, you know, is always the name of the game, right? Get him to answer the questions. Um, but just a great, straightforward, shoot, uh, straight shooter and uh, great time, great interview. I know you guys are going to love this. So check it out. It's something kind of different too. Not a lot of people I talk to are flipping multifamily. So kind of a cool niche within our market or within our industry. So uh, I know you're going to love this one, guys. So strap in, buckle up, grab a pen and paper, get ready to take notes. Uh, I give you without any further ado, Jimmy Murray. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This is exciting and uh, excited to share some golden nuggets with the audience and hopefully they're able to take some stuff home and and profit through real estate. Totally. I know we will because I know a little bit about you. So I know we're going to cover some stuff that people are going to love. And I, I, I really love to get people on who you know, have, and I kind of know you didn't start 20 years ago. Like this is a newish endeavor for you in, in terms of like number of years, but you've had tremendous success in this amount of time. And I, I think people sometimes when they hear like the 20 year, 30 year success story, they go, well, well geez, like I want to have a different life, like in my life. You know what I mean? So you, <laughs> yeah. you bring hope to people that you can get involved and have success fairly early on and, and kind of realize that that dream. So we'll get into all that. But before we do, let's let's back up a little bit and give people some context about you, um, maybe where you come from, where you grew up, and then how you sort of navigated yourself into the real estate world. And what did you do before that? What what led you? What what, what rock bottom? No, I'm just kidding. Some people do hit rock bottom. <laughs> I was basically so sick of corporate. But what got you into real estate to begin with and made you want to do it full time? I feel that it was like corporate sucked. So yeah. I'll dive back a little bit deeper. Like I'm the son of a contractor. My dad, I would argue, is one of the best finished carpenters in New England. He's retired now. I can remember as early as four years old, we used to drive around his little Mazda B3200 blue truck and uh, he would go and hang drywall and I would like run the scraps out to the dumpster. And uh, he'd give me like a dollar or two and that that's kind of where I caught the bug. And growing up, my dad told me to pick up a book He's like, go to school, pick up a book, learn up. Don't do what I do. He's like, I'm going to be toast when I'm older. Now my dad's kind of like well, hunched over and you <laughs> yeah. know, he, he's tired. He's old yeah. Um, yeah. because he worked really hard his entire life. And he always told me that I need to work smarter, not harder. Yeah. So fast forward, I go to college, I come out and I tell him, I'm like, listen, I have a degree in finance. Like you would have been just as good at sending me or just as well as sending me to the casino to kind of learn what I learned in school. Obviously <laughs> I learned how to trade some stocks and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I came out and I told him, I'm like, my goal is to buy a multifamily. And he's like, you're nuts. And by the way, I'm not going to help you. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, why am I going to go in? I'm going to help you make other people's apartments nice. He's like, buy a single family. I'll make it as nice as you want. You can save on all the labor costs. And I'm like, no, no, it's not about that. I was like, the multifamily is going to help set me up financially. And 
funny enough, I closed in the multifamily that day. And my dad's like one of my biggest role models, obviously going back to four years old and working with them on job sites. And now I'm getting into it and getting my, my hands dirty. And he tells me, you just made the biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> like that's demoralizing, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, fast forward three years in, and I mean, actually, I, I saw a Facebook post yesterday, but I'm seven years into the journey now. And uh, he still asked me, he's like, do you actually make money doing this? That's so <laughs> funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I, I was in real estate for about, oh, six, maybe, well, like three, maybe four years, three or four years, something like that. And I had replaced my W-2 income. I was still working a W-2 job, but I was really being conservative about quitting my job. And, awesome. um, uh, took my parents out to dinner just to say, hey, this is, I'm quitting my job. Like, this is what I'm going to do full time. And uh, I, I had had tons of success at that point. I was, I was crushing my W-2 income, like ridiculous. And uh, my dad's response was, you're making a big mistake. Like, that's what I was saying. See that? And I had been doing it for years at a high level. You know, it's just funny, man. Parents, and their heart's in the right place. That's the thing. Like, they're trying to protect you. They're not trying to keep you down. They're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to protect you. Um, but, you know, sometimes that that love and protection is not not what you have to listen to or, you know, you don't re That's realize it. what you're doing. So I love it. Your dad said, biggest mistake of your life. How'd that first one work out, by the way? How, how did dad's prediction go? Crushed. I crushed that one. Yeah. Honestly, it was a headache. Like I almost threw that deal out over a thousand dollars. Wow. Right. So my first one's a four unit in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And I picked up that four unit for $140,203. It needed $10,000 worth of renovation, which I like hacked my way with Home Depot credit cards and a couple other things. Yeah. Um, but I can remember it was a short sale and it took seven months, yeah. like still demoralizing, right? So it was, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hold on, explain the short sale to me again, because this seems really long, right? <laughs> yeah. So I get towards the end of the process and finally it, the short sale gets approved by the bank and we go through the home inspection and the line in on the electrical system is frayed. And like the home inspector was adamant, like you got to replace this, this, this place is going to burn down. And that was a thousand dollar cost that I almost walked away over. Wow. Now, fast forward a few years later. Um, so I'm, I'm all in on that one. I would say less than 155,000. And um, it just recently appraised for 350,000. So the numbers wow. were phenomenal. And the gross rent roll on that one is just under $4,000 a month. Wow. Um, it's, it's in, I would say it's a C building in a B neighborhood. Like I haven't gone crazy on that one. I still think it's one of the ugliest houses in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. But the thing cash flows and the tenants get along, so yeah, I'd, you know, leave well enough yeah, alone. Who are you? Who you'd argue with that? Uh, so did right, you go back? Yeah. To, did you go back to dad and show him the financials on that one? Did, I mean, did he ever he concede? Just, <laughs> he just <laughs> asked. He's just. I, I'm like, I'll show you. Like, I'll show you my bank account, or like, I bought a beautiful single family, and he's like. How are you? How are you paying for this? I'm like the multi-family is yeah. like, <laughs> if you buy them correctly, like it'll fund it'll fund essentially whatever you want. You want to yeah. buy classic cars, houses, it, it'll get you there. Yeah. Um, I tell him, I'm like, listen, investing in multi-family is like high level. I learned in elementary school. If you can add, subtract, and divide, you can buy multifamilies. It's yeah. that easy. You're just going to figure out, you know, obviously how to chug and plug the expenses of, yep. you know, what's a good water bill in, in the area that you're in or the sewer bill. Or I have one weird town where it's a really nice town. And I thought taxes were really low comparatively. And then the first year I got an additional $100 fire tax per unit, an additional $100 sewer tax per <laughs> unit. I'm like, oh, wait, your, your taxes aren't that low. Yeah. Um, but it's that simple when you buy multifamilies. It's adding, subtracting, and dividing by the cap rate. I love it. And first of all, I love your dad. He sounds a lot like my dad, just 
hard, hard to convince them, hard to change their mind on what they think is, is true in their mind. So I love it though, man. But I, I, my guess is you learn some, like, I don't know. I, I ask this question sometimes. I'll ask you. It's, it's, an, it's a weird question, but it was asked of me on, a, on an interview one time. And I thought, I like that question. What was it like? What was your dinner table like growing up? What was it like at dinner time for you? That's an interesting question. So honestly, growing up, um, my parents worked incredibly hard. So uh, a strong work ethic was instilled in me from a very young age. My dad would work seven to three. Um, at one point, he was a contractor for himself. Uh, at other points, he, he worked at the union as a carpenter. And then my mom would take care of us during the day. And she would work through at 11 as a secretary at a local hospital. And throughout all of that, like the, I mean, one of the, one of the best stories is about my mom, where my mom would literally take a class at a time until she became a nurse. And it's like one of the most amazing stories. Like I work, I watched both of my parents work incredibly hard. So honestly, the the dinner table was really my brother and I and my dad. Okay. And uh, it was his experiments trying to trying to cook. Most of the times it was like cereal, <laughs> or if my mom had left something, or like hot dogs and beans. Like it was simple, but um, I mean, my dad would always take an interest in our education, yeah. and I carry that with me to this day. Like awesome. uh, my my dad, the book that we talk about most frequently is "The Forty Eight Laws of Power" by Robert Greene. Okay. I'll tell him a story of like something that happened to me during the day. He's like, law 16. Why don't you go back and read that chapter? And I'm like, all right, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going back. Um, I, I really like books that tell stories. So even from a young age, my dad, uh, outside of <laughs> maybe the excitement of the food that we would eat, always took an active interest in our education. And then he was always battling with my brother because my, bro- my brother is levels more intelligent than I am. Like it's just like innate. He's better at Anything he tries, he's better than me at it, just naturally. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he was always arguing with him to do his homework. Um, but the the biggest thing coming out of the dinner table was my dad taking active interest in my education. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. And it's interesting. Sometimes that question is really telling. It does sort of tell you a lot about a person, what it was like growing up and what their dinner table was like and how that all that whole dynamic worked. And just the fact that your mom was working late and, you know, your dad's trying to put together dinner and, and kind of ask you about your education and, and interested in that. It's, it tells a lot, right? It's just, a, it's just the way you grew up. And I think that's cool to hear sometimes. Um, yep. So out of college, had a finance degree. Did you get that, that multifamily right out of, as soon as you graduated? Was it right out of college? It was, that? It was pretty darn close. So I can remember I graduated. Um, I, I was working for a bank at the time. And then the first offer that I put in a multifamily, six months out of college, I actually took a job in an investment firm. Um, one of the large, I don't think I can say the name still, okay, but uh, <laughs> one of the largest, one of the largest privately held investment firms in the world. Okay. Um, and I paused on the offer. Like we put in an offer and it was accepted and I actually backed out cause I'm like, well, I don't know what my salary is going to be yet. And then somebody else jumped in and took it. Um, that was the first realtor that I had. I didn't really like her. And then I pressed the pause button after almost buying a property in the neighborhood that I didn't belong in. And then, um, yeah. I don't think I would have been able to manage it effectively at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, but fast forward a year after that, so about a year and a half out of college, I bought my first one. Okay. Um, I didn't realize how good the market was. So I graduated in 2010. Oh, So wow. you got to figure like, I buy my first one uh, sometime 2011, 2012. Um, man, I would like, if I were to go back there, people ask me like, when the market corrects again, what are you going to do? I'm like, yeah. I'm going to sell my left foot, my left arm, like sign it like, yeah, I won't sell my firstborn, but like, secondborn maybe, the, but not firstborn. Yeah, exactly. I'm like literally, I will finance everything because I see the way that the market moved and I see the momentum of rents. And now that I know what I know, like I would have 
try to leverage everything to the to the hills to really grow the portfolio to gain that momentum. Hundred percent. I'm actually I agree with you, and I want to touch on that in a little bit here, the the market and what you think. But uh, just a te- sneak preview. I, I'm totally with you, hundred percent. I started in two thousand and eight. And awesome. I take, I, by, the, by the way, I have to apologize. For some reason, I have in my notes, or at least that's the way I read it, that you started in 2015. So I thought you were newer than that. Um, but so, no, you started a while back. Good good question. The property man, I launched a property management company in 2015 after I caught a bad review in corporate. Literally okay. walked out of the review, went, went to my cube, <laughs> text my partner. I'm like, we're launching a property management company. I'm done with this. Oh, that's so. the greatest. I love that, man. But yeah, so I thought you were newer than that. So I apologize. You, you've been in it for a while. But I started in 2008. And uh, I, I didn't start with rentals or multifamily. I was all about flipping houses. And I did that for exclusively flipped houses for about six years. And That's I didn't awesome. start my rental portfolio until like 2015. And you're right. If I could go back and talk to my 2008 self, I'd go, dude, you need to figure it out, raise money, borrow. Like you need to buy buy properties and you need to have a portfolio. So I totally agree with that, man. So you bought your first property like a year and a half into your corporate gig. By the way, when you got that job at that huge privately held firm, was that like, were you psyched? Were you like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the world? Or were you, yeah, I thought did it was, you know? Okay. I thought it was my dream. So yeah. like I'm in, I, I was in college and I was the only undergraduate on in a graduate class where we actually managed $20 million for the Ohio State University endowment. Wow. And that was really cool. They flew us to Wall Street at the end of that class. Yeah. And like I interviewed at Goldman Sachs and a couple other large firms. Um, and I thought like the goal was to make it to Wall Street, make a ton of money, and then eventually get into real estate. And it kind of happened that way. I didn't yeah. make it on Wall Street. Um, really fun story there that we won't dive into. But like it all goes back to reading books. Like my whole life, I feel like is guided by the books that I read to kind of shape my mind. Yeah. Um, so at that point, when I got that job at the large firm, like I was super excited. It was awesome. I thought that that was like the dream. Like I was living locally back with my family and kind of around things that I knew, but I landed like the job. Yeah. And uh, quickly during the first year, I learned, I'm like, this is not it. This is not it at all. Yeah. Um, but that gave me the financial backing to get to where I wanted to go. Yeah, I love it. I love that. So how long did you work that dream job before you said, screw it? It's a 2015 when you started that, that property management company. Is that, did you, so you worked there for five years, four or five years maybe then? I worked there for six years. So six, okay. uh, I have a manager that referred to me as side hustle as I built a property management company on the side. <laughs> so the best, here's, here's like the best story coming out of corporate, right? So right. I believe in the, um, is it Cortez who burnt the boats at the shore? Yeah, I think because, so. Because, yeah. oh man, I, I I burnt the ships and then some. Like it was, it was a bonfire Scorched for the, the earth, huh? So uh, I like, I'm huge on visualization. So I, for the last three of six years, I'd walk the halls thinking about the exit email that I was going to write. That's so funny. Um, over the last two weeks, I had given a six week notice and my manager, he, he didn't care. Like he was like, I'm not giving you any more work. He's like, assign you work. He wouldn't even talk to me after I told him about it. So, um, the last two weeks I worked on penning an email to 200 of my closest friends. And like the last thing that I did, I clicked send on that email, closed the laptop and went and dropped it in my manager's office. So that email, um, I wrote an exit email. Uh, to the lyrics of Juicy by Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> so I pulled out, I pulled out like lines from the song and I'd like drop two to three sentences to explain how it fl- fit my story. And honestly, yeah. it like I'm looking to my left during the interview, but I have it on the wall in my office to remind me where I came from and where my mind was at to continue that push every That's single day. Awesome. That's the best awesome. part is, so I left 
uh, coming up on three years ago. I left on my son's first birthday. It was my last day. Okay. So last Christmas, I'm walking through Home Depot and the manager that called me side hustle, he's in Home Depot. And he's like, he stops me. He's like, do you know that people still talk about that email? He's like, <laughs> literally, like people wish that they had that. Like not only the balls to send it, but like the hustle to go out and like create what you've been able to create. Yeah. So the moral from that is like, this story is not to impress the listeners, but impress on them that they can do it too, right? Yeah. That that big dream that you have in your head, like take the daily action to get there and just chase it, burn the boats at the shore and get after it. Yep. I, I worked with people who I still am in contact with, some people, and the, a lot of the conversation is like, man, I, man, I just can't believe you, you left. And like, man, I wish I could do what you're doing. It's like, dude, you can. Like, you can. People just yeah. sit around and like they look at it like it's a movie they're watching and they can't be a part of it. But it's like, dude, just I, I was the same way. Like I, I tell people all the time, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but it's a fact of the matter. I was running a house flipping, a full on house flipping business from inside my corporate job for a while. <laughs> just- like wild yeah like, wild I, and I, I had i was so i was good enough at my job that i could do it and still do my job at a high level i was getting raised like i was in good standing but i was running a full-on house flipping business that's honestly that's impressive like our stories are backwards i got into rentals first and then you know got into flipping more recently like i did a couple flips along the way not well um but now now a minute like flipping is a full-time job in itself it takes a ton of work yeah. so Maintaining yeah. the corporate job like you're talking about, that's <laughs> sincerely impressive for well, sure. My job. So in, in my not that this is about me, but in my particular situation, it worked out because I worked in a in a it was a, it was a global company. But the office that I worked in was was smallish and there was a, a shop attached to it. I was in the automotive industry. So okay. I was in charge of some prototype builds and some stuff. So I frequently had to go out into a semi-noisy shop. So I could yep. be out there. I'm supposed to be on the phone a lot of times anyway. And I could talk and no one could hear me because of the noise of the shop. So it was kind of a perfect storm for me. I could get away with it pretty easily. But yeah, Please, perfectly. All, all you managers out there listening, I'm sorry. I realize that's not really good. But once I was sort of like up and running and it was literally full time and I was 100% like doing flipping operations 80% of my day, I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like, I got to get out out of here like it's holding me back and it's not right i shouldn't do this so i think i honestly i think there's a structural change going on in corporate america as i have three people that i'm fairly close with that are going through something similar right like i have a i have a client that uh works at a large company and crushes it income wise and he's got a couple multifamilies, but he got into the self-storage business okay and i'm like oh this is cool you're full-time in self-storage and he's like nah see the, the airpods he's like i'm on a conference call right now i'm like oh <laughs> but wow literally i like i know three people that are going through that right now so i think that's part of a structural change with corporate america a lot of people want to go out on their own and mm-hmm. i think that covid has provided an opportunity for the people looking to take action i think yeah. it's expedited that sea of change yep it, it has my guess is though It'll make it easier for people to do their side hustle, but it might also make it easier for them not to quit their job because it's going to be a little easier to do that. Right. So, again, if I if I have a big corporation where I've got a lot of folks that I hire, I'm a little concerned (laughs) that they're all doing other things during the day. But what are you going to do, man? It's the way it is now. But you're right. Um, Okay, let's get back onto you. I feel like I got into me a little bit there. So you're in corporate, you're not loving it. You're you're dreaming of this email that you're eventually going to write. You write it. You're a rock star. You're a legend where you came from. Now you're off on your own. What is it like going from corporate structure to now being on your own? Did you struggle at all with the the you know structuring your day, keeping productive? Like, 
How, how did you deal with that, that, uh, that transition from corporate to working for yourself? It's a struggle focusing on the right things, right? So yeah. there are some things that naturally we like to do, mm-hmm. and there are other things that we don't like to do. So that don't like to do bucket, hire it as quickly as you can. Now, I'm not saying just hire a bunch of people and hope that it works, but along the way, like you should stack rank, make a list of the things that you most enjoy and the things that you least enjoy. Yeah. So then you can start to, to pivot like as you grow your company. Um, honestly, like it, it, it is a struggle when you come out, right? Um, the biggest thing for me was actually making the jump. <clears throat> and I had sat down with this other investor um, who had worked for a large consulting firm and then, and then made the jump to become full-time real estate investor. And he's like, Jimmy, it's like bungee jumping. He's like, have you ever been? I'm like, no. He's like, let me, let me tell you about my experience. And he's like, you're, you're going to get strapped up and you're like, you're praying to God that that bungee cord works and they're able to pull you back up. <laughs> he's like, but when you jump, it is like the most freeing experience. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. He's like, in the case of the bungee cord, what's the worst case? You can die. He's like, <laughs> I'm like, that sounds pretty morbid, but yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, but you know, 99.9% of the time, the cord's going to work and they're going to pull you back up. He's yeah. like, think about it. Like, what, what is your biggest fear? What's the worst thing that can, that can happen? You go broke. He's like, what else? I'm like, no, honestly, that is my biggest fear. He's like, but if you wake up every day and you know that you have to get after it and, and you know what it takes to get after it, he's like, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And that was like really level setting for me as, as I made that move. So, um, my advice would be to like lean on other people that have done it, like ask them like what the feeling was, what was the big thing that got them over it? Because I couldn't figure out like what was stopping me, like what was the biggest hurdle, but it was honestly thinking about like, holy shit, I'm going to go broke. I'm, yeah. I'm never going to make it out of that. Like, how am I going to recover? Yep. Um, but the truth is like, um, I think you talked about hitting rock bottom. Like that's not that bad. Like yeah. w- where we live, like if, if you are willing to wake up every day and work hard and get after it, if you really screw up and you hit that rock bottom, you can always rebuild. I know. You're just going to figure it out and you're going to be willing to put in the work. So true, man. So what did your, what did your business look like? You know, the month before you quit your job, like what did you build it up to before you made that leap? Yes, we were at 200 units under management and it was literally myself, my partner and a maintenance technician for 200 units managed. So was your main, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, was your main, was your main company, the the real estate management company, or did you have a bunch of your own, like your big, a big portfolio of your own that sort of funded everything else? Or what, what was the main driver of, of leaving and what did you lean on? Like, this is going to be my thing that I will, you know, rely on. Yeah, great question. So the big the big thing that we focused on was the property management company. Okay. So, I mean, uh, when I bought my first one, the goal was let me buy a bunch of these and create the financial freedom so I can leave and then I can just manage my own stuff, which mm-hmm. honestly that is more of the goal more recently. Okay. I have a bunch of really great clients that I love, yeah. but um managing your my own stuff has always been the goal. So we've we've transitioned more into that lately or I've transitioned more into that lately. Um but I got to a point where I realized that like what a property manager earns if they're really good at what they do is similar to what an investor earns, obviously without the opportunity for the increase in equity, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, shoot, if I'm crazy enough to enjoy property management, I can build the systems like that's going to help me transition out of corporate sooner. Yeah. So that was the goal. And then the other big thing that I read because so 2015, I started January by buying my second multifamily. Um, I launch a property management company. I buy my first flip with private capital. I've got a whole bunch of stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. And I realize I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. And 
somebody made a comment to me. I can't remember who it was. And they're like, have you read The Pumpkin Plan? And I'm like, I've never read that book. And they're like, listen, you don't even have to read the book. Just Google it and let me know what you think. So The Pumpkin Plan tells, tells a story about how farmers who grow a thousand pound pumpkin, they grow one at a time. They're not out there growing a whole field or pumpkin patch of thousand pound pumpkins. It's just one. And right. I think that's the most important thing as you grow a business or as you want to become a successful investor, focus when you figure out what that one thing is. And this is like a Gary Keller thing too. Like yeah. focus on that one thing and grow that thousand pound pumpkin. Yeah. So that's like my biggest piece of advice when I talk to younger investors or people just getting started. And when I say younger, like earlier on the journey, yeah, yeah, because gotcha. I believe in the thing called entrepreneurial maturity too. Like it doesn't matter if you're 50, like that doesn't, and, and I'm 32 at this point. Entrepreneurial maturity is a very real thing. If you spent 20 years running your own company versus I've spent almost six at this point, like that's a very real thing that we learn. but yep. you want to focus on whatever that thousand pound pumpkin is and just really focus on that niche. Yep. I love it. I love focus. I, I have the same thing. I talk to a lot of investors that are newer and I'll go, well, what do you what do you want to do? What kind of a business do you want to create? And they'll go, well, I'm interested Make in money. flipping. <laughs> yeah, it's like flipping, wholesaling, <laughs> rentals. I want to start a, you know, a property management company. I want to I want to trade notes like it's like, dude, you're going to be like crappy at all of them if you try to do them all like from yep. ground zero. I'm not saying you can't start a flipping company, transition into rentals or like you can build a lot of stuff, but if you try to start three or four companies from scratch right at the beginning, like you're going to, they're all going to be junk. They're it's going to be, be garbage. Terrible. Right. Exactly. So I'm all about focus. I love that. <clears throat> so let's talk about that property management company. Cause I'll be perfectly honest with you. That sounds like possibly the most biggest nightmare for me in the world is to start that company. <laughs> I don't even like <clears throat> dealing with my property management company. They're good. I mean, they're ethical and they're honest and they try to do the right thing. Um, but it's so frustrating to me and, and just dealing, I, but I have a property management company because the very last thing I want to do is deal with tenants. I just don't, I don't want to do that. So starting that company and making that my, my goal would be difficult. But tell me what, when you started that company, it sounds like you maybe initially started it for your own stuff and then you started doing other people's stuff, or maybe I have that backward, but what is it that you do that allows you to not kill yourself? Like, do you have systems that make it easier? Like, how do you kind of do that so that it's a more, because I think I get the impression a lot of property management companies is like hair on fire. They're just putting out fires all the time. And it's like, how do you do it in a way that makes you feel like this is, I can grow this and it's, I can be systematic about it. I swear a lot. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's great. Uh, very true, but honestly, it, it's really about um, it's really about having the right systems in place. You got to systematize as much as possible, and that's what's going to allow you to have that higher level of success. If you don't build the right systems, that's where you're going to have the here on fire things. Um, but it's also like coaching clients on the right level of communication. Yeah. Some clients will literally call you over everything, right? And I'm not trying to badmouth real estate investors because I am one, and I yeah. you know trade hats throughout the day. Um, but it's recognizing what's the really important stuff they need to jump on and, and what's not so important or not as important at the current time. Yeah. Or trying to pass it off to the team, right? But real estate investing is a team sport. So not only from the, in the investor bringing in a property manager and having the different components to build their successful team, but your property manager has to have a, a solid team in place as well, making sure that they have... Uh, the right team aligning with different components of the business, right? Okay. So at one point, we re realized that it is extremely important for a property manager to have somebody that live answers the phones. 
So we have a virtual assistant in the Philippines that is phenomenal that most people, they have no idea that it's a virtual, she's a virtual assistant. And, um, she live answers calls for us. And then she kind of feeds the work throughout the day so that we can recognize if things are on fire. Um, but I think it's really about a property manager building the right systems and then having the right team members in place, um, to have the ability to put the fires out. Yep. Uh, the other big thing, and I, I think what mitigates those fires is having stable buildings. So early on, two years in, we, we got an early Christmas present on Christmas Eve. I received a call from a client. He said, hey, you manage 12 of my units right now. You didn't realize it, but I actually have 28 other units. Um, it was between you and another manager. I think that these guys are wild, wild west. I don't like them here. Early Christmas present, 28 units. Holy shit, the next six months were like wild. I mean, this property manager was trading drugs and sex with tenants for rent. Like it was wow. insane. That, like... Uh, I bumped into him at one point. I'm like, hey, did you know that, you know, the girl in, in unit one rear over at this property, like she's a prostitute and her John or their, her, her pimp like answers the door to like let people in or whatever else. And he's like, oh, because she was a stripper when I when I placed her, like I met her at the strip club. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. Me. Um, <laughs> wow. But I think it, it goes down to stabilized buildings. And I think like that's an important question for investors on the way in to understand how a property manager operates in terms of, Hey, uh, you know, if you manage 500 units, how what percentage of your portfolio do you consider stabilized? Yeah, because if you have stable stable buildings that they've gone through and created rent ready turnovers and placed the right tenants, those should hum outside of the normal you know vacancy and transition as, as people move. Like, or if a property manager has a bunch of one bedroom units that they manage, yeah, there's going to be more transition. There's going to be a lot more work. So you want to see that they have a larger team. If they have more three-bedroom units and kind of um, like blue-collar communities where they rent to families, like there's going to be less transition. They can probably have a smaller team across that 500 units. Oh, that's a good point. So understanding the dynamic of, you know, one bedroom to three or smaller versus larger units sure. and then stable versus not stable. Honestly, I'm a little sick. I like unstable buildings because that's where you really create the value as an investor. Yeah, And that's where yeah. we've cut our teeth to attract the right clients that really use um, I would say uh, distressed buildings as a wealth creator. Um, but I mean, if if I jump on this podcast and I tell you, yeah, we've got 500 units and none of them are stable, like that should be a red flag. Yeah, um, totally. You should have a a smaller percentage of our portfolio if that's if that's how we earn our value in our local market. Helping investors turn around distressed buildings that's going to be a percentage of the portfolio. We've got to have team members dedicated to turning that around. Yeah. That makes sense. You you mentioned a VA in the Philippines. That's phenomenal. And people can't really tell she's not local. Uh, did you hire a service to help you with that? Or did you just go to like Upwork or something and, and find your own person? Did, was that something you did on your own or did you get help? Yep. So I, um, so a client of ours launched a company. Um, he had a friend locally in Rhode Island that this is, this guy's got like an incredible story, but like from a, a RIPTA bus, RIPTA is, it's Rhode Island Public Transit Authority. Okay. He'd like launched this translation service company, like just an idea as he's going to community college. And now the dude literally travels the country. He meets wow. with one of our clients and says, Hey, I think that we could launch a real estate specific VA company. And then they're like, Jimmy, you got to, you, you got to get a VA. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to screen them. I don't know how to set it up. And yeah. then I'm like, all right, I need a VA just to answer phones. Yeah. And um, it was a really cool process. Uh, uh, the, I thought that I was like, hey, listen, yeah, send me a VA and they just send me someone. That's not it at all. Like you have the opportunity to screen, at least with their company, you have the opportunity to screen the VA okay. and um, tell them like what's really important to you. Okay. Like I told them that um, 
communicating on the phone is more important. Written communication, I'm not as concerned about because we can kind of decipher that, right? As yeah. long as it met a certain expectation, but sure. um, being strong on the phone is was levels more important. Okay, cool. Do you want to talk about that? I mean, do you want to plug that service or eh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, those guys will love that. So the, the service is called Real Agent Helper. Um, and like the interview process is awesome. They'll go through, you know, a couple thousand applications, work it down to like a hundred folks, and then you'll get on the phone with five and then you can, or on a zoom call with five, and then you can bring them through whatever interview process you find relevant. Okay, cool. So it's kind of curated for you. That's awesome, man. I asked that because I think a lot of people want that. It's sort of like this, it seems like it's this goal or this, you know, this, this holy grail of like, a team of people working for me that make, you know, $6 an hour in the Philippines. It sounds awesome. But I think a lot of people fail at it because they don't know how to hire and train and manage people from the from the Philippines specifically. I mean, it's I've tried it and I've not had great success. So I'm always interested in how people are doing that and how it's working for them. Uh, I know what I did wrong. I think I, I gave them a lot of vague instruction that was varied. You know what I mean? that, that was the big That's thing. It. You know, you got to I think you have to be a little more focused and specific and methodical about what you give them. But um and I, and I didn't necessarily, I had people answering the phones. You could tell they weren't from around where I live and stuff. So I, I had not great success, but I haven't also tried it again in several years. I just went a different route. But I like hearing about those I, stories. I think the biggest thing is like, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is, hopefully this doesn't come off unpolished. But sometimes like when you talk to or people who you think are less educated, then you start talking louder, mm-hmm. right? Like you get yeah. a, like one of the big things is when you pick the right VA, they're extremely educated. Yeah. Like they've probably worked for larger companies and they're just working for a smaller company because it, it may just fit what they need better. Yeah. Um, like uh, my team in the beginning was like, do we have to like teach her everything? And I'm like, no, throw it across her. If she doesn't understand, she'll ask a question. But honestly, like our VA that we work with now, she requires very little um, direction. Yeah. Like once, once you set it up right in the beginning, then it's, then it's easy from there. But if yeah. you, you got to set that guideline in the beginning. Yeah, I agree. In terms agree. of expectations. Totally. But I think it's a great model. I, I know people who run their entire company off of VAs and I'm always sort Which of is, like secretly yeah. jealous of them, but <laughs> it seems like a lot of work to me. But anyway, I know it can work. I know for, it's a good thing. For me, I think it's like components, right? So if you can figure out the right components, that's what's going to help lead to a higher level of success. You got to remember in real estate, at least for me, this is a relationship-based business. So you can't, I don't know, you can, but I want to have some level of local relationship for our clients as well. Totally. Speaking of local, does your property management company only deal locally or are you like, you'll take rentals all around the country? Uh, currently only local because maintenance is a huge component for us, right? So I think a huge variable in the equation of running a successful investment property is having uh, effective and efficient maintenance, right? So if a tenant calls in and they want granite countertops, like we're not doing that. But if something breaks, you need to take care of your tenants because your tenants are going to take care of your cash flow. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a good point. And that would be the one thing that I would question. How do you do it effectively at a distance? Not that you can't, but I think there's you have to be very purposeful about that because I've had property management companies that were nationwide. Um, I can't remember the name of the company now, but there was these whiz kids that created this like online thing and they were like gonna they were yeah, gonna that's... disrupt the entire thing. Um, they had no idea about local stuff and they were they just weren't dialed into the maintenance. So they would send yep. anybody who would go on a call out there to take a look and they would quote whatever they <laughs> wanted and they just pass that Dangerous. along to me and it's like geez like yeah like this isn't gonna work no like do you have any concept of what it costs to do that like that's 
10 times what it should cost, you know? So I'd have to get involved and get my own people out there. And I'm like, why am I even using these guys? But right. um, anyways, so we talked before we jumped on here live uh, about a deal that you just recently did that was sort of interesting. Can you step through that for the people listening and kind of talk about how that went? Because it sounded like it was kind of a cool situation. Yeah, absolutely. So two components here. One is the speed of the current market. And then two is how to finance deals or... Yeah, how to get 100% financing on deals as I need to slow myself down. I just get too excited about this stuff. <laughs> so uh, um, this property was actually across the street from the second multifamily that I ever bought. And uh, at, at one point, I actually had one of the tenants arrested for dealing drugs. And then a few years later, now it's come back as a deal because the, the landlord is tired and finally ready to sell. So we, will, we were able to negotiate an acquisition price of $325,000, uh, a purchase price, based on a lack of a fire alarm system and just having terrible tenants. The guy was just tired. Um, so this property is cool. Uh, it was a four unit and it has a carriage house behind it, which is really just a garage with a second floor. Okay. And that had an additional four car garage as well. Wow. So I think a lot of investors, when they start looking at and pricing deals, they miss the cash flow from the garages. So I know in my local market, each bay of a garage is an initial hundred dollars in cash flow. Really? So if we do if we do quick math, right? So if you've got four garages at a hundred dollars a door, there, there's really not a lot of operating costs from a garage um, in terms of electrical or anything else like that. So let's ignore the expenses, but four hundred dollars a door times twelve months in a year gets you at forty eight hundred. We're not factoring in vacancy or anything like sure, that. Sure. But forty eight hundred dollars annually. At a 10% rate of return, that's $48,000 in value. Like that is yeah. huge. Yeah. So pay attention to rent increases, pay attention to laundry, pay attention to garages when you when you pick these things up. So we get into it. Uh, we install a new fire alarm system. We turn over three out of four units. We actually left the owner's brother in a unit, which is kind of biting me right now. We might have to get rid of him, but um, the former owner's brother. Um, but we've been able to increase the rent roll dramatically with better tenants and turn over and, and make the units rent ready. Um, so we're $40,000 into that project. We went to a hard money lender that's local um, through a referral of our attorney who funded the deal 100% of purchase and 100% of rehab. So on this one, I have $0 out of my own pocket. So what I did, I got that 100% uh, purchase and rehab hard money lender, which is kind of rare, but if you build enough street cred, you'll be able to get that. Yeah. And then I called another partner. I said, hey, I have this deal. I don't want to pay the holding cost. Would you be willing to come in, cover the, the hard money cost and cover any other holding costs associated with the property for 50% of the, uh, the profit on the back end? He said, yeah, that's a no-brainer. I love that neighborhood. Yeah. So that's how I was able to fund it 100%. Okay. And this is how I've been funding my deals because um, I've made sure that I've networked with a lot of wholesalers. Right, in order to find the right deal. So anytime I talk to a wholesaler or another investor, they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I find distressed multis and I turn them around. That's where I find value. Yeah. So literally, like earlier today, not to go on too much of a sidebar, I had a kid that sent me a text match message. He said, Hey, I was in my annual eye doctor's appointment. And he said he had multifamilies and he wants to sell or finance a portfolio. Do you think you could buy them from him? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. So this yeah. goes back to being super focused. So this yeah. wholesaler reached out, was distressed. He reaches out to us. We get 100% financing. We get these guys to come in. I finance at 100%. And originally at purchase, we thought that the after repair value was 450. Okay. So like the margin was okay to make 75,000 or kind of net 75,000 up front. We listed, end up listing at 475 because the market is super hot. We end up putting it under contract at $495,000 all cash offer, wow. which is insane, That's right? Nuts. But yeah. 
it goes to show like if you do the right work and you increase the rent and roll, rework the tenants, I think that a lot of times on these multifamilies, investors will come in and be like, all right, well, Jimmy, you bought it at 325. Why am I going to pay you 475? It is undervalued. Yeah. How much having the right tenants really drives that investment return. Yeah. Having the right tenant mix is really going to help you out uh, from a cash flow perspective and just a headache level. And your property manager is going to be a lot happier if you have better tenants as well. Totally. So, yeah, totally. Now, when you say multifamily, we've been saying the word multifamily a lot. What does that mean for you and the number of units that you're, wh- where's your sweet spot? Where are you looking to buy? Are we talking 100 units? Are we talking four units? Like how many units? Great question. So in my local area, uh, multifamilies are anywhere from two to six units. Okay. So really the focus, my focus on flipping multifamilies recently is two to four units because I'm able to sell to that owner-occupied buyer. Yep. So the the most recent example that I shared with you, that is actually an investor coming in. Um, but I've had four of the deals that I flipped this year where uh, actually they've all been two families. Um but two families really drive the return because people think they're house hacking, but they're really not making a return. So I'd be yeah. careful buying two families, at least in my local market. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. Yeah, that that makes total sense. I like that. All right, let's. We we spoke about something before we hopped on uh, live again as well. Um, uh, well, first of all, before we talk about that, I want to talk about you have a podcast yourself called Cashflow Kings. Um, why That's did right. you start a pod? I run a podcast. Obviously, you're on it. I know the work involved. I get it. Um, They're not always something that's heavily monetized. Sometimes they are. Why did you start it? What was the goal of your podcast? And then who do you kind of serve? Who's your listener on that kind of a podcast? Yeah. So our goal was to give back. Like people always ask us a lot of questions. I wanted to push content out so that people could digest that when they were ready. Right. Um, Our goal has never been to monetize the podcast directly. But we've received a lot of off-market deals from the podcast because people know that we're, we're active investors in the local market and yeah. they value the content. Yep. I mean, I had a home inspector that went out to a property a month ago and he ended up wholesaling us the property. It was a pre-inspection and he went through and they found a bunch of stuff. So he wholesaled it just because we were producing content. He knows that we're active buyers. Yeah. So um, the, the podcast, uh, it was really to give back and educate folks. So our, our uh, kind of jingle is motivate, educate, duplicate. Yeah. I so like that. that that's where we like to give back to the local community. And it's been honestly the coolest part, and maybe maybe you find this as well, is like the people that we're able to bring onto the podcast and just have like real life stories and, and share stories back and forth, just meeting cool people has yeah. been fulfilling for me enough not to have to monetize it. But yeah. the fact that we're able to generate some opportunities through flips is is really cool as well. Yeah, because that's definitely a form of monetization, right? It doesn't have to be reading ads, right? It can be, be the opportunities that you get because of the podcast. I had the same thing. I started mine originally. Same thing. I wanted to give back. I'm kind of an introvert. So I'd go to like meetups and RIAs and stuff. And I'd kind of sit there with on my hands with my mouth shut. And I I would, it'd be fine. But I, I was afraid to ask questions because I felt stupid. I didn't know if, I, if people are going to look at me like I was a moron. I'm literally the same way. Yeah. So I, get, like, I get like. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go. No, I was going to say, like, I get nervous to talk to people. I'm an introvert. I just get really excited about real estate. I do too. So this is like a different forum that I can ask the questions. You're absolutely right. Yep. So I was getting answers, to, but I could like put myself in the position, especially early on, of like just truly trying to understand, like learn. But it was in the form of like Q&A or like, you know, like an interview setting. Um, But I understand there's enough people out there that want to do this and they just feel intimidated by going to these meetups and these RIAs and all these people talk. By the way, most of the people at RIAs in my experience are talkers. They're not necessarily doers. So you don't need to be intimidated. But 
100%. Most people talk, talk such a huge game at the RIA and they yeah. don't close deals. They don't do they anything. Don't take the action. Exactly. So yep. I just wanted to create some place where I could answer questions that I know I had and I was afraid to ask because they seemed kind of maybe stupid or elementary. So um, I did that. But also I was looking for private investors at the time when I started. And, and I was able to do that. I found people that reached out and said, hey, I'd love to invest with you. It sounds like you know what you're talking about. Um, so it was kind of a cool situation for me. Um, but let's talk a little bit about we. You mentioned this this uh, company, the service uh, to me called EQRP.co. What is that? What are you doing with that? And can you tell people a little bit about it? Yeah. So financial freedom is a huge thing for me. So I've gained it, even though I'm a business owner. I'm trying to elevate to to be more of an investor. Um, having financial freedom over your time and assets is huge. Um, the stock market goes up and down, and over time, you can dollar cost average, and it's very easy to become a millionaire in the stock market. But I think more exciting for me is being able to leverage my retirement assets to invest in real estate. Some folks invest in you know hard metals like gold and silver. So recently, I've partnered with EQRP.co. Um, they they are managers of self directed retirement fit plans. This specifically is a qualified retirement plan where you're able to put away up to sixty three thousand dollars, sixty three thousand five hundred dollars a year tax free. And then you have checkbook asset to checkbook access to purchase real estate. Um, so this has been an incredible wealth builder for me. So I'm appreciative of the opportunity to become an affiliate with EQRP.co. Um, and then this also gains me more access to private capital as well. So if folks are interested in getting more control over their retirement assets, check out EQRP, EQRP.co and drop Jimmy Murray in the referral link. And I'm, I'm here to help you out. Um, if you need help figuring out how to invest that private capital in real estate or get started, um, just just shoot me at, uh, an Instagram DM. I can give you the handle later. And uh, definitely here to help you out. Very cool, man. Well, why you, give us that handle because I have one more question for you. But let's while they're kind of in the mode of, of getting a hold of you for this, let's, what is that handle? Definitely. Uh, the handle for Instagram is the Notorious CFK. The Notorious CFK. Got it. All right, we'll put that in the show notes to everybody. So if you're driving, running on treadmill, don't worry about it. We got you. Um, let's talk about where we are in the market. You mentioned what you would do differently if you could go back. Uh, uh, what, first of all, two questions. And I, I always qualify it. Hopefully you understand. No one's you know writing this down and going to hold you accountable. We don't have crystal balls. But what do you think is, is coming? What do you see coming in the market, in your opinion, from what you see and hear in your experience? Where do you think the market's going? And how are you preparing your company and yourself to take advantage of that situation? Yeah. So right now we've been flipping in order to raise capital for the eventual downturn. Um, I am not a bear by any means in terms of I think the market's going to crash, but I'm a realist, right? So we've been on an incredible bull run. Um, I don't think that rents have kept up in terms of the multifamily market because to some extent, rents have to be correlated to price increases. So I think rents have increased, but not to the same amount as prices have increased. So eventually that is going to correct. Now, the fuel on the fire currently is the fact that interest rates are incredibly low and so is inventory. So if inventory increases or rates start to increase, I think that that'll cause an eventual correction where you're going to want to have some cash on the sidelines so you can back up the truck like we were talking in 2008 to 2010 Mm -hmm. to really do some damage and, and create some wealth through purchasing real estate. So I don't have a crystal ball in terms of when I think it will correct. Um, but if the Fed starts increasing interest rates and inventory rises, I think that that is when you're going to start to see some uh, or to see a correction in the market. But then I think that COVID introduces a whole nother layer of complexity in terms of structural changes that we'll see in the market. Yeah. I think that a lot of folks are fortunate that they have the opportunity to work from home. 
Um, but in the less skilled labor force, I think you're going to start to really see some structural changes that may negatively impact folks and their ability to, to buy houses. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think we're going to see a correction too. It's for totally different reasons than last time, um, but we're going to see it. I, my gut, well, I put my money where my mouth is on this because I sold my personal home in June when I really wasn't planning on selling until sometime in 2021, but I just saw the the values going skyrocketing and I, you know, yeah. I, I didn't know what was going to happen after the election. We still don't know. As, as we're recording this, right. we don't know who our president is. But right. um, but I, I don't know how that's all going to affect. But I really do believe 2021, we're going to see some kind of a correction. I, I think it's going to happen in 21 or at least start happening in 21. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I got maximized that that equity that I had in my personal home. I chose to move into a rental just to sort of wait this out a little bit and kind of see what happens. Because you get a Smart chance both. about once a decade-ish to really sell high and buy low in real estate when it comes like your personal home. Yep. So I'm going to I'm going to try and take advantage of that. I sold high, no doubt about it. I, I sold way more than I should have. Uh, and now I'm in this rental situation just to kind of see what happens in the market. So uh, that's kind of what I did personally. So I think it's the same thing is going to happen. There's going to be a correction. I'm trying to stockpile money so that I can kind of back up the truck, like you said, and just start acquiring properties. I think it'll be awesome. Um, I do think all that's going to happen as well, too. So th thanks for sharing with that. I, I, I've not talked to anybody who doesn't think it's going to happen, frankly. If it doesn't happen, I'll be blown away. <laughs> I've talked to dozens of people, and they all have some version of what you just said. So yeah. I think that's what we can expect. So if you're getting I'm into real estate now, like take it from us. We were we started around the same time. Like if we could do it over again, we would take advantage of that situation in terms of like building a portfolio. So hell yeah, yeah, awesome man. Well, listen, anything anything else we want to cover? Anything else you want people to know about or, or highlight before we before we end this? I appreciate your time, and I want to get you out of here in the time that I promised I would get you out of here. So, well, anything else on your mind that you want to share before we go? My big thing is just wake up every day and take action. I can remember when I first started in real estate, like I learned real estate from bigger pockets and YouTube. Yeah. And one of the first episodes I listened to that the guest talked about massive action equals massive results. And that was his tagline. And that's one of the things that I put to work every single day. Go out, take the action. You're going to learn a tremendous amount. And that's what's really going to fuel your growth. Love it. I love it, man. I think I think action and execution trumps education and planning. It just does. And not that you don't need to educate yeah. yourself or plan, but man, you got to go out there and do it. You'll figure it out. So awesome, man. Thanks for your time. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for jumping on here with me. Um, I just, I, I enjoy talking to folks like you that just know what they're talking about. You have a lot of energy. You're very, very uh, forthcoming with what you're doing and what you, what you've done. So uh, thanks again for this, man. I think it's a great episode and I appreciate you doing it. Absolutely. All right, man. We'll see you next time. All right, guys, there you go. Jimmy Murray had a good time talking to him. Very smart guy. Uh, finance degree, got into that corporate world. I was in there for a while. I love the way he quit. <laughs> Those stories are fun. They're fun to listen to and uh, fun to kind of live vicariously through somebody who writes this long, uh, kind of elaborate email to some lyrics uh, and becomes a legend where he quit his job. So, But guys, listen, you heard him at the end. What did he say? It's like, go out there and take action, massive action. That's the key. We talk about this all the time. I beat it in your heads. I love hearing somebody else say the exact same thing. You just got to go out there and go for it. You got to go take action. That's the number one component to success. I'm 100% convinced that. So go out there and take that action. Make it happen for yourself today. Make today the day that you change your life for the better, for good. All right, guys, go out there and take care of business. Get it done. Okay. 
you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, level jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words just start as two words now just start to the number 55444 so text just start to 55444 I will send you a free digital download of my book it's the complete book there's nothing held back and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me and I really really appreciate it guys so I want to do something nice for you I do this every once in a while at the end of shows and if you listen to the very end every once in a while I do a giveaway like this so hopefully you enjoy that go grab a free copy I hope you read it I hope you love it reach out let me know what you think all right guys talk to you next time